this morning. Let's uh, take our Bibles again and turn to the book of James. <clears throat> the book of James. And uh, we're going to read today, uh, let's see here, verses... Well, I'll read verse 1 through verse 18. That's this here. All right, I apologize for that. That lets me know that I'm not breathing, okay? (laughs) James chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may uh, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, wait, uh, nothing wavering, for he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Let the brother of low degree rejoice in that he is exalted, but the rich in that he is made low, because as the flower of the grass he shall pass away. For the sun is no sooner risen with the burning heat, but it withereth the grass, and the flower thereof falleth, and the grace of the fashion of it perisheth. So also shall the rich man fade away in his ways. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust, and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Do not err, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, and cometh down from the Father of lights, which uh, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Of his own will begat he us with the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. And the Lord will add his blessings to the reading of his word. Let's pray. Father, I come to your throne of grace now and I ask for help during this time that you would give me the strength that I need and the ability to uh, teach this lesson. May it be profitable for us. May we learn something that will help us uh, in our uh, walk with you, Lord. We'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. How many of you have heard of this fellow here? All right. Samuel, have you ever heard of Thomas Kempis? You haven't? I'm surprised. Thomas Kempis lived from 1380 to 1451. He was a German uh, Christian theologian of the late medieval period. And he was the author of a book entitled The Imitation of Christ. Have you read that, Sarah? You read some of it. All right. 
Uh, anyone else? I didn't look over here to see. No? Okay. Uh, the Imitation of Christ uh, is a devotional book uh, that, with the exception of the Bible, it has been considered one of the most influential works in Christian literature. And it's probably one of the most popular and best-known Christian devotional books. And uh, he has a lot of, uh, uh, of wonderful things to say in there. Um, he, he, matter of fact, he said this, A wise lover values not so much the gift of the lover as the love of the giver. Love does not regard, regard the gifts, but turns to the giver of all good gifts. In other words, he is saying that we should love God, the giver, not just the gifts. All right? And uh, last week, we, we learned that uh, people have always had misconceptions about temptation. And uh, that's because of their view, their worldview is based on faulty and, and uh, distorted reasoning. In verses uh, 13 through 16, uh, James told us the truth about temptation. In the New Testament, there's only one word for temptation, but it carries a twofold meaning. meaning. First, it refers to trials or tests uh, from providential situations or circumstances which come as troubles uh, uh, which come as troubles on the outside. And God sends troubles to bring out the best in us. And then secondly, it refers to the solic- solicitation to do evil. And this temptation is on the inside and is an allurement to sin. See, what Satan does, he, he tempts us. He sends temptation to bring out the worst in us. In uh, verses 13 through 14, uh, we, we saw the true source of our temptation. The source of our temptation is not others. Uh, the devil didn't make you do it. God didn't make us do it. Uh, uh, he didn't make us sin. And uh, we learned that the source of temptation is really from within us, from our hearts, within our hearts. It's our own evil desire, um, our inner craving. Satan tempts us and gives in and, and we give in to our lustful desires within our hearts. And then sin, because, and we sin because we choose to. And it is when we want to satisfy these desires in ways outside of God's will that, that we get into trouble. In verse 15, we saw the terrible results of temptation. Sin is the result of a process. Lust or desire conceives in the heart. And from this conception, sin is born... And sin then matures and it produces its own offspring, which is death. In verse 16, James warned believers not to be deceived or to be led astray by making the mistake, supposing that uh, God is the author of sin and, uh, or blaming Him for our sins. He's not affected by evil, uh, nor does He tempt us uh, or influence anyone to sin. I shared some helpful reminders on uh, how to handle temptation. First, remember that Jesus was tempted. And he used God's word against Satan. And then secondly, remember that God knows our limits. How much we can bear. And then third, remember to guard our minds and to pray. And then finally, remember to stay close to God and don't yield to temptation. So, up until now, up until now James has been dealing with trials and reminding us that God tests us 
to make us better. All right? Now then, we now come to verses 17 through 18. And James wants us to consider that God never tempts us to do evil, but He is a giver of good gifts because of His love for us. So, we're going to look at first the gifts of God. And there are two different Greek words used in verse 17. Watch. Every good gift, there's the first one, and every perfect gift is from above. Those two words, gift, those are two different Greek words. Now in the English it's the same word, but in the Greek it is two different words. And, uh, <clears throat> pardon me, the first means, the first gift means the act of giving. And then the second is the object given, alright? Every good act of giving and every perfect gift is given from God. So, first of all, God's gifts are good. Anybody receive any bad gifts this week from God? No, no. You know what God, what God, what, what God gives and how He gives are both good. And uh, just think of uh, everything that is good in your life. I mean, this morning, did, did you get up and just think for a little bit about all the good things that, that, that you have been blessed with? Um, how many of you drank water this morning? Anybody have a drink? Nobody had water? Through some coffee. Okay, I, I guess we can sort of stretch a little bit and make that count. But you know, God, God only. How many of you? How many of you were breathing this morning? Yeah, without the aid of one of these. Yes, God only gives good and perfect things, and they all come down from Him. Psalm thirty-four and verse eight says, "Oh, taste and see." That the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in Him. Psalm 84 verse 11 says, No good thing will He withhold from them that walk uprightly. No one can accuse God of not being good to them. Because He never gives bad things to anyone. God's gifts are good. But then also God's gifts are perfect. And, uh, you know, just as God is not the author of sin, uh, nor does He tempt us to sin, and just as there is no evil that comes from God, likewise, His gifts have no evil in them. They are perfect. Notice he says, James says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. And he used that word perfect, all right? They are perfect. And the word that James used for perfect it describes the, the ultimate completeness. Something that cannot be better. You can't get any better than perfect. All right. It comes from the same Greek word that John uses in John 19 and verse 30. As Jesus hung on the cross, he said, It is finished. And that word finished comes from the same Greek root that this word perfect comes from. So, salvation's plan was perfect. And it was completely finished. There's nothing that can be added to God's plan of salvation. And whatever God gives is flawless. And it is ultimately complete and perfect, suited to each and every person. What are some of the perfect gifts that God gives us? Well, His works are perfect, first of all. Deuteronomy 32 verse 4 says, He is the rock, His work is perfect, for all His ways are our judgment. 
A God of truth and without iniquity, just and right is He. His way is also perfect. Uh, not only His works, but His way. Psalm 18 verse 30 says, As for God, His way is perfect. Third, His will is perfect. Romans 12 and verse 2 says, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, and that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And then His word is perfect. Psalm 90, 19 verse 7 says, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. So God's gifts are good. God gives, God's gifts are perfect. And God's gifts are also continue. You notice what he says in verse 17. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Now watch this little phrase. And cometh down. And cometh down. And that literally means keeps on coming down. It's not just a one-time situation, all right? But he gives continually because he is a generous God who gives liberally. We saw that in verse 5. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not. Not only does he give us wisdom, but he gives us all things. All that we have need of comes down and keeps coming down from above. Uh, for instance, the, the air we breathe. I mentioned about the air we breathe. Uh, aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that it's not just a one-day event? It's 24-7, isn't it? He never stops giving to us for blessing us. And His blessings are inexhaustible. Psalm 68, verse 19 says, Blessed be the Lord who daily loadeth us with benefits, even the God of our salvation. Psalm 68, 19. If you don't have that underlined, be a good one to underline. And then... We're going to see about the greatest giver. Every good and perfect gift, he says, is from above. And the first thing we see is that he is the creator. All that is good originates with God, our giver. Psalm 145 verse 3 says, Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. And you know why he's great? He is great because He is the Creator. Notice what James calls Him. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from who? The Father of lights. The Father of lights. And uh, this is one of God's names, by the way. There are so many names. I think I mentioned to you that I have a, a set of books. There are five volumes in this set. And they all contain names of the Lord Jesus. All of His names that are given throughout the Bible and God. And here, James calls Him the Father of Lights. And this is an ancient Jewish expression uh, for God as the Creator of the heavenly lights. Referring, of course, to the sun, the moon, and the stars. He is the source of all natural light. And the first words, you know, what were the first words that God spoke in Genesis 1-3? Can you look that up, Brother Doug, please? Genesis 1, Genesis 1 and verse 3. I believe that's the correct verse. It says, And God said, Let there be 
and there was light. First thing he said was, let there be light. Not only is he the creator of the universe and light, but he is light himself. That is another one of his names. It's capitalized. Light. He is light. John, first John, uh, Melody, would you look up John 1, verse 7 through 9, please? John 1, 7 through 9. But in 1 John 1 and verse 5, it says, This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. Isn't that wonderful? John chapter 1 and verse 7 through 9, Melody. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. And then John 8 verse 12 says, I, Jesus speaking here, I am the light of the world. And he that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. And then also God's word is light. Did you know that? Psalm 119.105 says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And no wonder he's called the father of lights. So James says, the greatest giver is the creator. But then also, he tells us that he, this creator never changes. James says that with God there is, and notice the word he uses, no variableness or variation. All right. Uh, literally, it means fickleness. God is not fickle. He, he doesn't change frequently. James is referring here to God's nature or His character. And so here we see God's immutability. Can you say that word? Let's say it together. Immutability. It's a big word. And uh, it means unchanging over time. God never changes. He is unable to change. In Malachi 3 and verse 6, he says, For I am the Lord, I change not. I'm so glad about that. There's a song, uh, and uh, uh, the chorus of it, I think the title of the song is Always the Same. Always the same. Oh, praise His name. Jesus never changes. He's always the same. Always together, His love is forever. Jesus never changes. He's always the same. Sarah, do you know that one? You do know, you've heard that one, okay. It's a good little, good little chorus. We'll have to sing it sometime. Well, the great creator is, uh, the great giver, he is the creator. And of course, he never changes. And he is always constant. He's always constant. That means also it never changes. But more than that, how, how did people, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but, but uh, how many of you have a watch, first of all? How many of you wear watches? You, okay, Don, yeah, oh, good man, all right, anybody else? Uh, yeah, it's, uh, 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 Carol, you wear a watch, Melody wears a watch. A lot of people don't wear watches anymore. Uh, you know why? Yes, that's right, right. Yeah, cell phones here. But I'm still old-fashioned, I still like a watch. But how did people in biblical times tell what, tell time? Huh? Well, I'll tell you how. 
they had what was called a sundial. Sundial. Pardon? They carry that around with them? Yes, they got little miniature ones that they would carry in their robes, you know, or around their neck. But here's a 2,000-year-old sundial here. And uh, there, there are variations, all kinds of them. And uh, would uh, Melody, would you look up Second Kings verse? Well, you know what? Let's let's have uh, uh, Gate. Would you mind Second Kings twenty verse eight through eleven? Second Kings twenty verse eight through eleven. And uh, I want I want to show you here that. Uh, People did, even back then, in the Old Testament, use sundials. And notice the phrase that he uses before we get there. The phrase that James uses, he says, neither shadow of turning. Neither shadow of turning. And this refers to less and less light until there is total darkness. It refers to the different uh, shade or, or, or shadow that is cast by the sun from an object due to its shifting in rising and setting, and it, in its changes at the different seasons of the year. Brother Gabe? Right. And Hezekiah said unto Isaiah, What shall be the sign that the Lord will heal me, and that I shall go up into the house of the Lord the third day? And Isaiah said, The sign shall thou have of the Lord, that the Lord will do the things that he hath spoken, shall the shadow go forward ten degrees, or back ten degrees? And Hezekiah answered, It is a light thing for a shadow to go down ten degrees. Nay, but let the shadow return backwards ten degrees. And Isaiah the prophet cried unto the Lord, and he brought the shadow ten degrees backwards, by which it had gone down in the dial of Azah. The dial of uh, Ahaz, I think it is. The dial of Ahaz, it was like one of these. Matter of fact, one of the pictures I saw online, it was almost like this one here, and it said it was the dial of Ahaz. It was a sundial. Um, what, is, what does your version say? Who has the ESV? The steps of Ahaz. Huh? Steps of Ahaz. The steps of Ahaz? Okay, one of the other versions, I can't remember which one it was. It actually says the sundial of Ahaz. Does anybody say that? Okay, take my word for it. And, and, and Google, all right? Mine says sundial. Pardon? Mine says sundial. Yours does say sundial, okay? Good, I knew I, I'd read it somewhere. So that's how they told time, all right? And uh, one author said this, unlike, and, and here's the correlation I want to make, all right? One author said this, quote, unlike our sun, which may be obscured by clouds or an eclipse or night and vary in intensity of shadow, our God is eternally the same. No less light or darkness. He is changeless and not affected by changes in the universe. He's always the same at all seasons of the year and in all ages. There's no change in His character, His mode of being, His purposes and plans. What he was millions of years before he made the universe, he is now. What he is now, he will be countless millions of ages hence. Hmm. He's constant. You know, everything changes, doesn't it? 
Everything changes. This, this world changes. Uh, everything is unpredictable. Everything is undependable. Uh, you know, just, just look at what our world, what's happening in our world today. How our world is changing. Nothing remains the same. But God is constant. He's always the same. And the writer of Hebrews said in Hebrews 13 verse 8, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. You can say those things in this church, can't you? Yes, I think we can. Our opening hymn said it all, didn't it? Great is thy faithfulness. O God, my Father. Here it is. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not. Thy compassions they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever wilt be. Amen. You know, if this God gave good gifts in James's day, then this same God will give good gifts in our day. Because He is unchangeable, and He is faithful, He is constant. And you know what? You can depend on God. He's always the same. I like what one, I heard one preacher say one time when he shared a truth. He said, you can go to the bank with that. And that's exactly true. But you know what, folks? There's one more thing I want to share with you here in verse 18. He says, For of His own will begat He us with the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of His creation. You remember that James said in verse 15, he used birth as a picture of, of desire leading to sin, which then led to death. But here in verse 18, he tells us that God brings forth life through the new birth. God, the creator of the heavenly lights, is also the giver of salvation and eternal life. Whatever good and perfect gifts we may enjoy that God has given us, to know that our sins are forgiven, that we are saved, and that we have eternal life, that Jesus Christ lives within our hearts, is the greatest gift of all. Isn't it? Notice that he says, what he says about this gift. First of all, it is a free gift. It doesn't cost you anything. And you couldn't pay for it even if it did cost something. It didn't cost us a thing, but it cost Jesus everything. Amen? In Romans chapter 5, notice in Romans chapter 5, over and over again, Paul refers to the matter of salvation being a free gift. Romans 5 and uh, verse, well, let's begin at verse uh, 15. Romans 5 and verse 15. And uh, notice how often he uses the word free gift. But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift of grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. Verse 16. And not as it was by one that sinneth, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one condemnation, but the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. Verse 17, For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. 
And then finally verse 18. Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. And even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men under justification of life. So James tells us that uh, it is a free gift and that we cannot pay for it. Not only is it a free gift, but it is a divine gift. It's a divine gift. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of who? Of God. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And then notice in verse 18 he says, Of His of His own will. And here he's referring back to verse 17, the Father of lights. Folks, salvation is a divine gift from above. And uh, Jesus told Nicodemus in John chapter 3 that the new birth is the work of God. It's from above. And uh, in verse Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace are you saved through faith, the not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. Salvation is not something that man thought of. But it originated in the mind of God. And our salvation is due to God's gracious sovereignty. We did not earn it or deserve it. And God gives us this gift because of, he tells us in verse 18, because of his own will. It was His will. You know what? He chose us. We didn't choose God. No one here chooses God. Nobody chooses God. He chose us. In John chapter 1 and verse 12 and uh, verse 13, we've got time to look at that. John chapter 1, verse 12 and 13. But as many as received Him the Lord Jesus. To them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Alright? That's what Jesus told uh, Nicodemus, that the new birth is the work of God. And that, that, that when he says born again, you must be born again, that refers to being born from on high, from a higher place. <clears throat> Salvation is not something that uh, we thought of. It didn't originate in our minds, but in the mind of God. And our salvation is because He chose us. And then, we're going to wrap this up here in just a minute. Um, You were not born a Christian, by the way. You know how many people I've had to tell me that? Samuel, I've had people say, well, I was born a Christian. Or I was born into a Christian family. Well, you're not a Christian because, you were, because your parents are Christians. And uh, that's, he says, the will of the flesh here. That's human efforts. Uh, your conduct or character or your good merits nor the will of man. That's, that's human, any human assistance, any religion. But we're born again of God. James says, He begat us. And this means give birth to, He birthed us into His family. And the idea is that we are brought forth, we are begotten to be His children 
in his will. He purposed it, and it was done. He did not save us to make us happy, by the way, or, or because of our need, or because we deserve to be saved, but rather because he chose to save us of his own sovereign will. And then, salvation is through God's word. How are we saved? James tells us there in our verse, get back to 18. Of his own will begot he us, how? With the word of truth. With God's word, which is the gospel. He tells us the truth about God. The Bible tells us the truth about God, about man, about sin, about heaven, about hell, about repentance, about faith, about life and death, and of course about our need of salvation. Paul said in, uh, to the Ephesian Christians in Ephesians 1.13, in whom, also, in whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. Colossians 1, 5 and 6, uh, Paul says to the Christians at Colossae, for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven... Whereof ye heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. And then one more time, Peter says in 1 Peter 1.23, Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. One author I read said this, Just as human birth requires two parents, so divine birth has two parents, the word of God and the spirit of God. God's Holy Spirit uses the Word of God to bring about the miracle of the new birth. God's Word, folks, is the instrument of salvation that brings forth faith. Romans ten seventeen says, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing what? By the Word of God. And so James tells us that uh, the Word of truth, in verse 18, it means uh, is the means which God uses to convert souls. The gospel brought to us the Lord Jesus Christ. And without the gospel, uh, there's no salvation. And then, this greatest gift is a gift with a purpose. Notice that James says that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. And um, this may have two meanings. First, it, it refers to time. James says to those early first century Christians that he's writing to there that they were the first fruits of a harvest of Christians that would follow. And you know what? You and I are part of this harvest as we'll be future Christians until the Lord Jesus Christ comes to gather us in. By first fruits, the Jews, when Adam Clark's commentary said, by first fruits, the Jews to whom the gospel was first sent and those of them that believed were the first fruits of that astonishing har harvest which God has since reaped over the whole Gentile world. Second, it refers to the first part of the harvest which belonged totally and completely to God. In the Old Testament, the people were always to give of the first fruits of their harvest. Proverbs 3.9 says, Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of all thine increase and uh, so as God's first fruits we are his possession and we belong to him 
And uh, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, 19-20, What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God? And ye are not your own, for ye are bought with a price, and therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So, God's greatest gift has a purpose. And we're not to keep this gift to ourselves, by the way, but we're to share it. And as we are the first fruits of the harvest, and there's more to gather in, we're to glorify God by serving Him and sharing the gospel that it might bring forth more fruit. You know, folks, you and I who have been born again, and I trust that you are, that you have been born again, that you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, and uh, that you have that relationship with Him we spoke about, I believe, last week. May the Lord of the harvest find us faithful. And uh, help us to sow the seeds of God's Word. And He will bring forth more fruit. That's the kind of, uh, that's the kind of uh, faith that works. And then here's the last one. It is a personal gift. God's free gift of salvation is personal. Have you accepted this gift? No one can receive this gift for you. Not your parents. Not your spouse. Not your children. Or anyone else. And if you've never, if you have not received God's free gift, and the greatest gift is, of course, the Lord Jesus Christ. Can you see that? It says, to you from Jesus Christ. It's a personal gift. If you have not received Him, then why not do that today? Why don't you be saved today by repenting of your sin of unbelief and trusting? You know, that's the only sin that will send a person to hell unbelief. In the Lord Jesus Christ. Receive Him today as your personal Lord and Savior. And you know what? He's still gracious. He still offers eternal life. John 1.12 says, But as many as received Him. Receiving the Lord Jesus Christ is salvation. And I trust that you have done that. Even to them that believe on His name. The name of the Lord Jesus Christ. God is the giver of good gifts. Let's not ever forget that. Amen? And every day, let's thank Him for all that, that He gives to us. But especially, you know, Melody and I, when we have our devotions in the morning, and when we pray, pray at night before we go to sleep, we always thank God for the day and for all of His blessings, but most of all, for His wonderful gift of salvation. The most important thing. Let's pray. Father, I ask that You'd bless now the lesson. I know we've covered a lot of material this morning, but uh, Lord, may it cause us to, uh, to get into the Word more and, and to hide it in our hearts. And we pray that if there's one here today that's never trusted You as their Savior, may they do that today before it's eternally too late. And we ask this in Jesus' name, also that You would help us who are saved to be faithful. Uh, Lord, we are fruit. We are part of the first fruits of the harvest. Help us, Lord, to bring others in and to share the gospel with those who do not know you. Every opportunity we have, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.